welcome back to Pam and Rue Start a Book Club. Rue, we are on episode two. We're talking about our second book, Running with Sherman by Christopher McDougall. But before we kind of dive into that, I thought we could go over a few housekeeping items, um, really starting though with all of the amazing feedback we've gotten from our many friends and family and people just reaching out from having listened to the podcast. Yes, I did. They loved it. <laughs> it was really cool to kind of see so many people outreach um, and kind of let us know what they thought about not only our thoughts on the book, but the book itself and how it kind of intertwined with some of the themes that they've been dealing with with their own families. That was really interesting. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate everybody that did reach out. That was a, a really cool experience, and I'm happy that so many of you are enjoying what we're doing here. Me too. <laughs> Okay, so some of the housekeeping items that I thought we could talk about. Um, first, uh, my boyfriend Rohit has recommended that we need a theme song. A theme song. A theme song for our podcast. Now, he has offered himself uh, for creating the theme song, but I'm not very hopeful. I've listened, and I have to say I've got some copyright concerns. <laughs> okay. So I think we're going to stick to our regular uh, little loop intro. Okay. Sorry, you're a hit. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for offering, though. Um, we should also probably, before we dig into this book, Running with Sherman, we should mention what our next book is going to be. Um, and that will be The Pool of the Stars by Emma Donahue. Um, and we'll read a quick excerpt here, which says, Dublin, 1918. Three days in a maternity ward at the height of the great flu, a small world of work, risk, death, and unexpected love by the best-selling author of The Wonder and Room. So that sounds like a great book for you, Rue. Um, really, it hits at those themes of happiness and people <laughs> really enjoying their day. Well, it's centered in, a, in the last great pandemic in that time it was the flu and it's bringing forth positive things that come out of that or during that which you know applies to today yeah i think i'm really interested in that we don't i don't think uh, any of us really imagined ourselves living in a pandemic so having come through this experience as first timers it's i think really interesting to look back at how other people have lived their lives during times like this yeah i've seen you know, photos from back then, and they were wearing masks, you know, as they went shopping or whatever, they're just like we're doing today. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think beyond that book, we've talked about a list of books for uh, the next six episodes, and I have to say, I'm really excited about those books. Me too, and we, we have some good ones. We picked out a lot of really great ones, so I just want to say that we'll be uh, if you follow me on Instagram, I'll be publishing that list there. You can also uh, see a list of upcoming books on my website. If you uh, go to imcamelliot.com, that's I-M-C-A-M-E-L-L-I-O-T-T.com slash Cam and Rue, uh, you'll be able to check out the books that we've got in mind, um, and we'll try to provide some short descriptors for each one as well. It's a really exciting list. I'm pretty stoked about it. I don't think I've been this excited to read a list of books for the year more than this. 
Right, and on my own, outside the book club, I'm having a little difficulty finding something to engage me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll get started those soon. I'm really excited about it. Okay, um, let's see, where should we go from here? So we should, we should probably start talking about, um, this book, which I have to say, Rue, I'm a little upset with you for picking this one. Why? Okay, so in our first episode, you told me that you begrudgingly read What's Mine and Yours, and that you wanted to read themes that were happier, times about people being happier, and you promised me, (laughs) you promised me this book about a little show pony named Sherman finding health and happiness with a runner. You were like, Cam, come read this book. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. It has all the themes you love. Animals, running, being healthy. What happened? What happened to that? Well, just like life, other things encroach. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I don't want to spoil anything for our readers, but I will say that this is a book that I really did actually enjoy reading, but it seemed like every time they turned around, there was an issue. Mm-hmm. It's through our trials that we grow. So, Well, he did a lot of, Christopher did a lot of growth throughout that book. <laughs> he did. <laughs> There's nearly, what, nearly 30 chapters of growth? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> There's also some really dark themes in this book that I wasn't expecting, but I think in retrospect, it makes sense. Um, And we'll kind of dive into that when we start talking about themes. But this book really did surprise me. I was really happy that we read it, but it was not at all uh, what I thought it would be based on just the cover and the short description that the book is provided by. Yeah, it surprised me too. Hmm. Okay, well, let's talk about the the main cast then, um, our main crew. So obviously Christopher, who wrote the book, Christopher McDougall, He's the main character, the protagonist of the story. He's the voice of the story. Mm -hmm. So he's the narrator. Um, But joining him is his uh, wife, Mika, who uh, I'm a little tempted to say long-suffering wife, Mika, um, for (laughs) uh, so much that she endured. I'm sure not just in this book, but throughout her loving relationship with Christopher. They seem really happy together, but he definitely lucked out with her. That's for sure. He did, and he knew he did. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Then we also have Sherman. So Sherman's like the main man, right? Like that's the whole reason for the book. Sherman is a donkey that is in pretty poor shape at the start of the book. Um, He has been kind of ignored by his owner and left in abandonment. He hasn't been groomed. He hasn't been taken care of. And uh, the uh, signs on the wall are really kind of saying this is the end of his life. Well, I think his owner loved him. I I really do. But he didn't have the resources to actually take care of him. And I don't think he was in the right mind frame to take care of him either. Yeah. So Sherman suffered greatly. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, he there's a point in the book where that original owner comes back. And I I think you get that window into his his life and that he really did love Sherman. Mm-hmm. He just didn't know how to take care of himself and the people around him or the animals around him. Right. Um, then we have Tanya, who is their neighbor, friend, confidant, animal lover, fellow animal lover, and what I'll consider as their kind of team doctor um, for Sherman. And mentor through the whole process. Yeah. 
I started out thinking it would be your husband, the vet. Scott. Scott, but he was a big disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> You're giving too much away. Um, so Ta- Tanya was great. Tanya, I really liked. She was a force to be reckoned with. That's for sure. She was. Hmm. Um, and then following along with Tanya comes Flower and Matilda. Flower is what I would assume to be kind of like the, or described to be kind of like the, the leader donkey. Um, she belongs to Tanya and Sherman pretty much follows Flower wherever she goes. Mm-hmm. Then there's Lawrence, which is <laughs> a goat. And it's an alpine goat. And Lawrence is the first one that got Sherman to um, rejoin, actively rejoin life, I think. Yeah, Lawrence kind of elbowed his way into making Sherman be friends mm-hmm. and kind of told Sherman what to do or took him by the elbow and was like, here's how life works. Let's go. Yeah, let's go, buddy. <laughs> also, a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a demon goat. <clears throat> Lawrence was up front and in your face most Mm -hmm. of the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was very boisterous. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Speaking of boisterous and a little bit of a wild card, we have Matilda, Tanya's other donkey, that also ends up running this race with Sherman and Flower. Um, So you, I think it's before midway through the book, Christopher realizes I'm going to need some help getting Sherman through this race. And that's really where Tanya and Flower get recruited into the race and then Matilda kind of follows in suit mm-hmm. and Matilda is definitely the wild donkey she definitely does what she wants but she does seem to pay attention to the group and and um, helps get Sherman on track as far as training goes mm-hmm. there's even a point in the book where Matilda has to actually lead Sherman yeah that changes <laughs> during the book who's leading and who's following Okay, and then we also have Zeke, who is a son of one of Christopher's friends. He ends up getting pulled in to train uh, or help train Sherman. And um, again, I don't want to give too much away about that, but there are a ton of characters throughout this book. Uh, these really, to me, were the main crew. Would you agree, Rue? Yes, I think you nailed it. So this will kind of foreshadow some of the themes that we're about to see, but I would say overall... All of these characters have a few things in common. They definitely are loving spirits. So they're they're looking to kind of share their day and their compassion, their passion with other people and other animals. Yeah. Um, they're definitely a friendly crew. They're looking for finding, um, how should I say this? They're looking for purpose in the day, even Sherman. So Sherman is probably very depressed or downtrodden at the at the beginning of the book but you see Christopher talks a lot about the moments that he sees where Sherman realizes that life is still worth living and that he has a chance at a good life. He had to give Sherman purpose to get him motivated to heal and to progress. Yeah and I think that that's something that really resonates with me for this whole crew is that they're all people that seem to be seeking purpose in their day, whether they're looking for it in themselves or the people around them, they're very giving people and animals. Mm-hmm. So I think this takes us into talking about some of our themes in the book. And I think the the first one, the most immediate, the most obvious is 
just the idea of running as a sport or not the idea, but the, the practice of running as a sport. Um, and there were a couple things that I really enjoyed about this. I will say, I think that I'm going to need to get two of my running buddies, Ricky and Catherine together. Cause I think we're going to have to start burrow racing. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think they'll burrow race with no. me? No. <laughs> mm. Although it did turn out that women won quite often. Yeah. That's a theme in this book is feminism and women's rights and how women really do uh, tend to prevail as the elite athletes that they tend to make better athletes than men. Uh, some people will fall on different sides of that. But I think just growing up with you as, as my mom, as a single mom, uh, I think I've always been really interested in those female-led, female-driven stories um, and looking at the female perspective of things. And so that was one big surprise for me in this book. So it's written by a man. Sherman's obviously a male donkey, but there are a ton of incredible women in this book itself. Mm-hmm. Um, something that really interested me about the running component of this book was this last year during the pandemic, I ran my very first marathon and I've, I've ran a lot of races, a lot of races, um, and I've ran some half marathons, but I've never run a, a marathon. And I've been feeling really sluggish since, since that race completed. Um, I was happy with my pace during that race. I feel good about having done it. I'm glad I did it. Um, but I obviously had to slow down. I had to learn how to slow down in order to run that far of a distance. And that was a first for me. Um, and so now when I go out for just even a short run, like two or three miles, I feel really slow and I'll look at my, my speed and I know I'm not going slow. It's just something kind of mental, but I have started to feel unhappy in my everyday running and I just feel sluggish and I feel a little sloppy. And so it was really great to get Christopher's perspective in this book about that very thing. He mm -hmm. talks to a coach, coach Eric, mm -hmm. Eric Orton about I think there's a, a chapter in the book where he starts to talk about the 30-second drill, and they are talking about this very problem, where Coach Eric talks to Christopher about, hey, I think you're running a little slow and sloppy, and that's exactly how I'm feeling at the moment. And so in that, they talk about a 30-second drill, which uh, Coach Eric says running fast can autocorrect your biomechanics, while slow can lead to sloppy, which is exactly how I'm feeling. And so he recommends starting with a two-mile warm-up, and then you start sprinting for 30 seconds. After that sprint, you jog lightly till you can kind of recover. And then you just repeat that until you can't anymore. And so I've been doing that for the last couple of weeks um, since I read this book, and it works. I definitely have enjoyed that feeling. I don't feel sloppy anymore. I'm, I'm really... I feel a little rejuvenated. So if Ricky and Catherine are listening to this and you're feeling that way, or even if you're not feeling that way and you're just looking for a way to kind of do something different in your running, that 30 second drill has really helped me at least get past some of the uh, feeling of running every day. It helped Chris McDougall as well. Yeah, that was cool. He also talks about Chrissy Mail, who really wants to enjoy running for herself. She's not in it to compete with others. She is a competitive spirit and she talks about that a little bit about how that's not her first reason for running. Um, but her true purpose at the end of the day, the reason that she runs is for herself. 
And so she has three simple rules for running, and they are to smile from gun to tape, make someone else smile, and race like a demon. I found that really interesting. Yeah. And Chris's wife took that to heart. Yeah, Mika. Chris's wife, Mika, she really was inspired by Chrissy. I think a lot of people are inspired by Chrissy. Um, they have a quick description for her. In the book, they reference her as, um, or they say, in the 2007 Hard Rock 100, only two guys could beat Chrissy. At Hawaii's notorious Hurt 100, only one. And no one, man or woman, could defeat her in a 100K in Oregon. Um, race participants and watchers often comment on her huge smile while she's running. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes she runs with a skirt, and people definitely notice that. <laughs> um, I think there was a point in the book where they talked about how she had paused in one of her runs so that she could eat pasta with her friends mm -hmm. or were they also running with her I can't remember I don't think so I think they were on the sidelines they were on the sidelines and she had just told them make sure you're resting and then went back to her run <laughs> she was a really interesting character there are a lot a lot of really interesting characters like this in the book and Chrissy I think is someone that I really related to for a lot of reasons just for wanting to enjoy running for yourself so on by no means a collegiate athlete or a high school athlete. I got into running late in life. It was something that I was just interested in and really wanted to do for myself. And so that's what I've been doing. And I've enjoyed it ever since. And Chrissy talks a lot about um, trail running. So she's a trail runner. She doesn't always like to train on the road or run on the road. She prefers doing a lot of natural uh, landscape running. And that's really where I started um, that's something I still enjoy today. It can definitely feel like an interval run because you have a less controlled platform. You're, you're going up and down. The terrain can be really hard on you. It's definitely a good training zone. Um, but it also can be what I found easier on the feet than running on just concrete. Um, it's just something that I really enjoy doing. And so that, that was fun to, to read about and learn about Chrissy. Yeah. Kind of in connection with this, and, and one of the reasons a lot of people, including myself, run is the idea or concept of movement as healing. Um, and we see that in Sherman, first and foremost. So Sherman is a depressed character of the book. He's been neglected. He, he's in a poor state of health. Um, but as Christopher gets him up and running, really takes care of um, the basic needs for Sherman, they can start getting him into a place of jogging or, or walking and then jogging and then running. And so you see movement being a heal, healing factor for Sherman, but also for other people throughout the book. So Christopher talks about his own journey where he kind of lost a, a sense of health or a healthy place for himself and had to regain training and had to learn how to get back into shape. Coach Eric was really helpful to him for that. Um, but we also see that in other character, many of the characters throughout the book. One that really stands out to me is Lindsay Doak. Um, Christopher met Lindsay at the Hard Scrabble Mountain Run, which is a 10K, 5K trail race. Um, and he was very surprised um, by Lindsay. So I think at the time, Lindsay was, was she 15? Was she? Yeah, 15. And I think he had been a little bit like, who is this? 
um, young girl who just whizzed past everybody with a ponytail mm-hmm. that, that stood out to him. And, and he approached her at the end of the race to kind of learn more about who she is and how she trains and, and what she enjoys about running. And what he finds out is that her mother says most people would be very surprised about where Lindsay is in her life. So she's a stellar athlete. She's doing great in her, her runs. Um, but when she was a baby, she had mistakenly been diagnosed with respiratory virus and she went into respiratory arrest at only six weeks old. Um, and so not that kind of health condition alone, I think would surprise a lot of people that Lindsay is out there running, much less winning any of those runs that she's doing. Um, that's a lot of, of physical exercise and just exercise of the heart and mm-hmm. the respiratory valves. Well, they thought she, they didn't think she'd live. Yeah, they didn't think she would live beyond that. So Lindsay's proving everyone wrong. A component that I really thought was interesting about this, beyond Lindsay herself, but um, her parents started to talk about the cost of Lindsay's health condition and just that very first hospital bill. Um, In the book, they say, Christopher writes, As a farmer, Ryan paid for his own health insurance, and he was stunned to discover that it covered so little of Lindsay's care, that the Dokes now owed the hospitals more than $1.5 million for that first day. Which there's no way they could pay. Right. They had to start over. Which is something that I personally have felt. I had a seizure in St. Louis, um, and I was unconscious. Um, It was a grand mal seizure. and I woke up in the hospital. Uh, I had been picked up by a, not a public, but a privately owned ambulance. And um, I was a college student. I wasn't making very much money at the time. I was working for the school to help pay for my tuition. And so I had very limited funds at the time. Um, and that was just an outrageous amount of debt. And fortunately, it had been... Um, a nonprofit hospital, and I had been able to apply to them and, and request that that debt be forgiven. Um, but there was, a, thankfully, there was a process to kind of go through and, and take me through that. But I definitely know what that feels like going through this big, scary endeavor of trying to find out what is wrong with you and what's happened to you. And then at the end of that, you find this huge bill that would actually put you into bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And for Lindsay, this is a bill that her family may be seeing time and time again. So at that point, she's six weeks old. They aren't sure how often Lindsay will need assistance, and they end up selling their home and moving to Missouri and pursuing different jobs so that they can ensure that they can take care of their daughter. Mm -hmm. And it's not until middle school that Lindsay starts looking into cross-country running, and she says she does it because she wants to see how running can help strengthen her lungs, which I think many people <laughs> would think the opposite. They would think you're putting too much endurance on your lungs. Mm-hmm. So that, that I think, is a great case study of how um, movement can really be healing. Not only is Sherman a great example of that, but Lindsay, too. That was That's just an amazing story. That's the thing about life. I mean, we're not on this world alone. We interact with animals daily, whether they're the stray cat in the neighborhood or squirrels in your front yard or or some donkey that you've rescued. We're we're your we occupy the world together. 
Yeah. There can be relationships formed. Yeah, so burrow racing is something that really pulls um, Lindsay's interest. It gets her even more excited about running. Um, and I think she would really attribute some of her health and her happiness overall to just burrow racing in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what struck me is all of these people engaged in this burrow race have a generosity of spirit that you don't normally see on a daily basis. Yeah, I think that is another theme unrelated um, to, to these themes that we're discussing, but that's another theme in the book where um, Christopher starts to go over the differences between the Amish. So Christopher lives in an, I hesitate to say he lives in an Amish community. He lives by an Amish community. Mm-hmm. Um, and he starts um, interacting with that Amish community. He starts learning about who they are and, and why they live the way that they live and and interacting with them in ways to serve, um, which is interesting. He starts looking at the differences between the Amish and the Mennonites and how that fracture came to be. Um, and that was that was really interesting to me for a lot of reasons. One thing that he really seems to admire about both communities is that connection that you're talking about to animals where they have a purpose throughout the day. And it's not to get up and check their iPhone or to get up and go to work um, in some building, but it's to go check on the animals that serve them. So they serve the animals that serve them in kind. And Christopher spends a good deal of time kind of talking about that mutually beneficial relationship and how that can be just as good for that community or that person, their mental health and their physical health um, as anything else. Yep. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. I think he really brings that up as he starts to wonder like, okay, but why can't you guys drive a car? Like, why are you still in horse and buggies? And he started to really reflect on what it meant for them to stay connected to the horses and to continue caring for those horses day to day and and have that servitude and gratitude from that relationship. Well, he lives so far from town that he relies on them for different necessary needs that he has daily with his own property there. Yeah, so he buys a a home out there. I almost said new home, but it's a new to him home. (laughs) It definitely needs some work. He also needs to learn about the landscape, the animals that are there, um, where he can do some basic convenience shopping. How he can get repairs done. Who can do the repairs? Mm Mm-hmm. And they kind of trade. It's a barter system out there. Yeah. It was a very interesting component of the book. It reminded me a lot of um, just being a kid. So you used to take my brother and I out to uh, an Amish store where we would go on the weekend and we would pick out things. And that was always super exciting to me because they had so many cool things that I never got to see in other stores. Well, not only that, we'd go to the local farm to buy strawberries every spring (laughs) or fruits and vegetables throughout the rest of the summer. Yeah. So, yeah, it was really always a good experience to interact with them. They were always a really friendly community. I looked forward to going there, not as much as going to the library, but it was a great part (laughs) of the week. I really looked forward to it each time. It was it was a unique experience, and you always got to see more animals than you normally did. And their produce was so much better than what you could find in the grocery store in town. Yeah, that was cool. 
Um, let's see. So we're kind of on this idea of animal therapy for humans. Um, the idea that there is a health connection between humans and the animals around them. I personally believe that's super true. My own cat Houdini, I think, does wonders for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've read in a lot of studies that cats, their purring can really be a great help um, in reducing stress, that humans will start to, uh, I, I hesitate to say we match our heartbeat to theirs, but I, I guess the vibration of the cat helps you kind of slow down and de-stress and, and you start to find a slower rhythm, mm -hmm. which can help calm you down. Um, and there are some studies that are looking into how cats can actually improve um, the longevity of your life. Um, just living with them can really help um, keep you around, which is an interesting idea. I think a lot of pet owners would say that their animals play a big part in their happiness at home. And some of them really do see a link between their overall health as well. Well, we have therapy dogs you yeah. know, that help the handicapped. Or you take a therapy dog into a nursing home or a hospital to visit with the patients. And it has a positive impact on those patients. Yeah. So Christopher talks about that quite extensively in the book. Um, and we're about to jump into a couple things here that were surprising. So the book does talk about depression and suicide. And mm -hmm. animals are uniquely linked here in Christopher's book. He talks about his friend uh, Andrea and her two children, Ashley and Zeke. They are two super athletic kids. They're very competitive. They were um, involved in so many things. It was it was very rapid, um, no downtime kind of life for quite a while. Yeah, I think they had uh, Christopher had written that they had spent at least two hours in the morning before school mm -hmm. um, training. That they they were swimmers, and so mm -hmm. they were putting in a lot of time just swimming even before the day got started. And then at the end of the day, they would go back to training and um, they would do their homework in the in the car uh, being transported back and forth. Um, ultimately, this leads to both of them having depression mm -hmm. and making, I think it was multiple suicide attempts. I don't know about the daughter, but Zeke did. And so um, this is where Zeke really gets introduced uh, to Christopher's timeline. Mm -hmm. um, Zeke is now in college at the point in the book. He has attempted suicide and he's been pulled back home um, so that he can work on healing whatever issues he's facing and, and confronting that depression and trying to find a path forward. And he talks to his mom about wanting to um, wanting to talk to Christopher. And I think that comes from Ashling. Uh, there's a point in the book where, where Christopher talks about Ashling's recovery. And he says, one thing that had helped Ashling was getting her a cat. And now Andrea understood why. Pets are a great way to spur the release of oxytocin, a hormone that functions much like dopamine. And I think that's important because Christopher spends a good deal of time in the book talking about the relationship between exercise and dopamine that we receive dopamine as we exercise. Um, I think I have a quote in here about that. There was a study done by the University of Bonn in Germany where they looked at um, volunteers 
they were asked to uh, hammer the treadmill for a solid two hours. When they finished, their brain opioids were calculated. Not only had all of the runners' opioid levels increased significantly, but the Bond researchers made another surprising discovery. The better each runner felt, the more dopamine was found in the spinal fluid. Rather than an on-off switch, the hormone was acting like an intoxicant. The higher the volume, the happier you feel, and the farther you also, unfortunately, fall. Um, and so part of what Christopher really starts to reflect on or take the reader through as he starts looking into Ashley and Zeke's history is that relationship between dopamine and sports, that you do gain dopamine as you exercise. And unfortunately, just like any other addictive substance, you start to miss that when you stop your regular exercise routine. When you slow down. When you slow down. And that's what's happened to, uh, that's what did happen to Ashlyn and Zeke. They stopped being those overachiever exercisers and they weren't getting the same level of dopamine each day that they were used to. Mm -hmm. And they started to feel depression. And that's not new to the world of sports. I think the open communication of what's happening is, is new. I think a lot of people, and Christopher writes about this himself, a lot of people just put that under the rug as, as someone being put in their place or a rising star just falling and and that it's an ego-driven thing, that they feel thwarted by life. But there's a real connection that what they're missing is that dopamine that the exercise has created and that they've in some ways become addicted to that feeling. Mm -hmm. So um, once again, we see with Ashleen that a cat was really beneficial to um, her that she was getting some form of oxytocin from just being around that cat. And, and I think that's a really cool thing to even just think about that your pets can really be beneficial in so many different ways than we think. Mm -hmm. um, he also talks about horse-based therapies. Um, there's a section in the book where he says, um, these therapies have also shown impressive results for issues ranging from combat trauma, sexual abuse, even anger management, eating disorders, and addictive behaviors. Um, few peer-reviewed studies have been produced so far, but the reports have come in that have come in are promising. One survey of veterans struggling with PTSD found that 72% showed significant improvement after several weeks of working with horses, while teenagers in custody for at-risk behaviors have also shown significantly better impulse control and social skills. They've also um, tried taking prisoners out and working them on ranches. Like, this is probably in the Northwest, but they're, they've worked on ranches with horses and found that they yeah. tended not to go back to prison. Yeah. And we have seen, I think in the last couple of years, um, prisons really start to create pet programs where a prisoner can adopt and train a pet that will ultimately um, be adopted by someone in the community. Mm -hmm. um, that's how my friend Melanie actually got her dog, Annie. Um, and she, I, I, she will never say goodbye to Annie. Annie's been the best dog in the world. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. I think we were talking about how Zeke had reached out to Christopher Maybe for part of this reason, I think he he talks in the book about how Zeke knew Christopher was was a big runner. He knew Christopher was into healthy eating. 
um, and I think he had some sense at that time of Christopher being an animal person, and so he had been just kind of curious about what Christopher might say to him if they they were talking about Zeke's own depression and um, trying to forge a path forward. Zeke spent a lot of time thinking about his problem and seeking ways to to handle it. Uh, he even looked into. Uh, there's a man in the book that takes swims in ice cold water ice baths ice baths and that seems to help with depression as well so zeke started incorporating that yeah <laughs> i mean anytime he found an answer he tried it he was really trying to get beyond this yeah i think um i had first learned about i don't know if they're really called ice baths but they're ice dunks where you spend a significant amount of time just sitting in ice water um and i had seen on YouTube, there had been a Swedish YouTuber that was taught, or maybe she was Norwegian, um, that had been talking about how the sun disappears for months on end um, where she lives. And she had started to try and combat the depression that would come from that. She had started just taking an axe pick and, you know, making a cut in the ice and putting herself in there for a little bit at the start of the day. Um, and that kind of woke her up and told her, okay, it was time to start the day. Mm -hmm. I guess you miss that when you don't have a, <laughs> a son to say, hey, it's morning, let's go. I don't know if that's for me. Um, but Christopher really goes into a lot of different themes like this where um, animals are helping humans heal. Um, and the reverse of that as well. A few that stood out to me in addition to these were... Um, Rowan Isaacson. Um, Christopher writes that Rowan was an autistic six-year-old in Texas who would erupt into such violent fits that he couldn't attend school. Rowan's father said, our lives were tantrums, um, tantrums and the time in between. Um, but whenever Rupert took his son riding, Rowan's mood suddenly calmed. He became so relaxed and focused that Rupert was able to teach him to read while he was in the saddle. Yeah. Harrison Walters, another child that stands out in the book, he um, was autistic and he found companionship in um, animals as well. And that really helped calm him down and helped him find focus. Um, and then there was a man, Ben Juan, um, who was epileptic. He had seizures and he also found um, animals were beneficial to his own, his own condition. Mm -hmm. um, Christopher writes, Ben's seizures have disappeared for as long as six months at a time, and his stamina and self-confidence are through the roof. And he attributes that to um, the animal companionship that he's built over the course of trying to solve some of these issues that he's facing. Mm -hmm. um, there are a couple things that, um, there are a couple of reasons that this could be. Christopher talks about a lot of different aspects to how animals can help you heal in your own life and their connection to your mental and physical health. Um, but there was a paragraph, two paragraphs really, that stood out to me as he talked about this. The first one, I think it was in connection to, um, either in connection to Rowan or Harrison. Um, but in the chapter, it reads, when you're working with a force of nature that is extraordinarily sensitive to human cues, 
and will act up if approached by someone who is feeling angry or tense, you learn pretty quickly that you'd best keep an eye on your moods and maintain total attention to the moment. And the idea there, I think, was really that because the horse is so big, it has such a huge mass on it, and you're so little, especially when you're a child, um, it's a really big cue that you have to really pay attention to the moment and focus and um, it kind of, what I took away from that paragraph was that it helped some people stop worrying about all of the things going on in their life and take a moment to just focus on what was happening in that one situation. Mm -hmm. Animals can read your mood. Um, we had a stallion on the farm. I was grown and living away from home, but when I'd come back home, dad had this stallion. And he told me, don't get on that stallion if you're afraid, because he knows when you're afraid. Yeah. And that's when you get hurt. Mm -hmm. So I got on the stallion for like maybe a minute <laughs> and decided, okay, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's another paragraph in the book um, where a character we haven't talked about, Karen, we'll get to her. Uh, but Karen is, is talking about Sherman to Christopher. This is toward the end of the book. They're trying to transport Sherman, Flower, and Matilda to the actual race. Mm -hmm. um, and Sherman does not enjoy this process. A lot like my cat Houdini, um, Sherman does not enjoy the process of being contained in a trailer or a vehicle for transport, especially for hours on end. Yeah, it goes back to where he was in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, confined in that in shed. A... Confined in that shed. Yeah. And he couldn't move. It was trauma. It was trauma. Yeah, traumatic for him. Um, but Karen is talking to Christopher a little bit about this, and she says, animals don't do things out of spite. They're not trying to teach you a lesson. That's the biggest mistake people make with animals. Getting this idea that what they do has something to do with you. you got to get yourself out of the picture and then you'll understand what's really going on. And I thought that was a really great message. The idea there is that humans make everything about humans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We've taken over the planet. We've made this whole earth and even the outer space about who we are and what we do. Right. And that's not true. <laughs> um. And so here, the message is animals don't exist to just serve you. Their moods aren't based on you. What they do isn't in relation to you. They're not thinking about you. Mm -hmm. They're thinking about themselves. They've got their own trials and tribulations and their own needs. And if you can take yourself out of the equation, you can figure out how to help them. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool. So we've kind of talked about depression, suicide, mental health, physical health. I mean, this book really runs you through the gambit of all of those moods. There are a lot of highs and lows. As a runner, that was really interesting to dig through, but also as a person um, with friends and sometimes family members that have felt depression um, or dealt with suicide, I thought that I was really happy to see these themes in the book. They surprised me. I, again, I thought I was getting a nice, cute little story about a show pony <laughs> and his fun little run. What I got instead was uh, a book that really takes you through a history of depression for many people in America um, and the ways that they're trying to solve those issues 
with exercise and with animals. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Well, Christopher was a journalist, um, investigative reporter, so he dug in. Yeah. I think that that's something I was talking to a friend about this morning, that this book feels a lot more thorough in its research. Um, The book itself, I think, spans just a year. Um, But throughout the book, Christopher goes on tangents where he will, as he's introducing a new character to the reader, he'll talk about that new character's history. I say character, but they're real people. This is a true story. Um, So he really gives you a, a mini biography about these people. And that's not something you see in a lot of books. Um, just that whole big picture. Um, you get a full view of everybody that is coming into the book, how they're related to um, these concepts of animal care, animal therapy, um, human therapy, uh, big heavy themes, how they're related to um, depression or suicide or um, cancer. A lot of these people are really Well, I have to say, I don't think I've ever known anyone to know so many amazing people. It felt like every chapter we were meeting someone that was more astounding or just pushing the bar for what a capable, uh, not just capable, but like what a stellar human is and what they can do with their life. It was really inspiring. Um, I don't know how he finds these people in his life. Well, they impacted they entered his life. God brings people into your life for a reason. So if you're paying attention, and he is, <laughs> you can tell their story as it impacts your story, too. And it, it you interact with each other. You impact each other. I do think this definitely comes from the community that he's wrapped himself into. And Christopher definitely does not seem to be a person that's afraid to ask for help. If he had a connection, he used it. He looked for it. And I think there's something there. Um, And then I also think going back to just that, the host of people in this book, they're servitude and gratitude people. They're looking for how can they serve their community, serve the people in their lives. And I think there's something around that too. Everyone that he meets is in a similar vein. They're looking to help people beyond what the return on investment will be for them. Um, and I, I don't know, there's something to birds of a feather flying together there. Part of this was networking, too. People that he knew and they knew that he had an issue or a problem would reach out to people that they knew. Yeah, That's how Karen got into the whole process of helping him get to Colorado with the animals. Yeah, so Karen, Karen and her friend Linda, they are... I don't know, this is a really cool theme in the book, Ageism, um, where we see time and time again, whether they're an elite athlete or they're someone that is um, an expert in their field of medicine or they're an expert in animal therapy or they're an expert in, it doesn't matter. Um, Their age is not a hindrance to their ability to help the people around them or even to win medals um, or to make an impact on the industry that they're in. And Karen and Linda are two ladies that volunteer themselves to help Christopher get these three donkeys across the the U.S. um, to the race itself. Um, And I don't know, they're just, they're like little, (laughs) they're so interesting because they're, they're rough and tough. 
Karen survived cancer, and she's determined to live her life to her best ability. So she steps out, and she goes and does things that most people think, you really shouldn't do that. You need to rest. But nope, not Karen. And Linda is a good friend, so she goes with her. Yeah. And they're very capable. He didn't think that they would possibly be able to get those animals into that trailer. They sent him off to get rope or something. And when he came back, the animals were all inside the trailer. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. It was hilarious. And he often found himself relying on them for their knowledge and and just their ability Mm -hmm. as they went through uh, the steps to get Sherman and and the other donkeys to the race. Driving a trailer with three donkeys in it across country for these little old women was just amazing. Well, and I think something that I really liked about them in particular, too, was they weren't apologetic about who they were. They were very, uh, they were blunt, but they were kind. Um, And I think that's what matters at the end of the day. But they presented themselves as they were, and they they weren't sorry about it. I Mm -hmm. thought that was really cool. Uh, There were actually a lot of really inspiring women in this book, whether we're talking about um, Chrissy Mail. Um, or Lindsay Doak. Um, we had Barb Dolan. She was a huge theme mm-hmm. throughout this book or a huge character that many of the other people in this book reference or say they're inspired by. Barb was a U.S. national team cyclist. Um, and Christopher writes that she became the first person ever to complete both the Leadville 100 trail run and the Leadville 100 mile mountain uh, bike race in the same month. Uh, Barb won the Women's Triple Crown an astonishing 13 times, including 10 years in a row, by scoring the best finishing times in the three longest races. He writes that for years, Barb held the record for the most dominant performance in borough race history, winning the Leadville 21 miler in 2010 by such a huge margin that the guy in second place finished a full half hour behind her. That was (laughs) That was also Barb's first race in two years after coming out of retirement at age 54. Yep. Um, so I, I hope that gives you, you a sense for um, just how cool some of the people are in the book um, that he introduces you to. They are amazing people that really do inspire you as you're reading throughout the chapters. And um, they're not apologetic about who they are. They're great at what they do. And age does not limit them, and neither does their gender. Right. I thought that was really cool. That really surprised me. Um, Because, again, I thought I was getting a book about Christopher and Sherman, and that is not it. Nope. It tends to branch out. It's a ripple (laughs) in a pond. (laughs) Well, I do think there is that uh, probably the largest theme in the book is the idea that you don't go it alone to win. Um, that you do really have to ask for help, whether you're trying to get your donkey to become a burrow racer or you're dealing with depression and suicide. Um, you really do have to reach out when you're struggling and and rely on the people in your life to help you achieve what you hope to achieve, to help you achieve your goals. And I think that, to me, was really the true message of this book. Uh, and that was that was cool. I really enjoyed that. One thing that surprised me they brought out, and I had no idea, was that women had been prohibited from racing like in the Boston Marathon until 1972 because they thought 
that if women ran in a marathon like that, their uterus could burst. Ridiculous idea like that, that men have about women's capabilities. I mean, I think we have a long history of the world of men being ignorant about women's health. (laughs) (laughs) And then the, the... they talk about animals and how they serve you and you serve them. But for the longest time, animals were our early alert system, and they still kind of are. If you notice right before a, an earthquake hits, dogs and cows, all the animals are alert. They know it's coming. And, you know, cowboys used to pay attention to their horses because the horses knew when someone or something was around that was a danger. And I always like to read Dana Stabenow mysteries because she has this character, Kate Sujak, in Alaska. It takes place in Alaska. And she has a partial wolf, dog wolf <laughs> companion that is definitely her protector and her early alert system. So, theme, you know, book after book after book, it's a, it's a recurrent theme where animals are your friend and, and partner in yeah. life. Very cool. <clears throat> I think another theme here in relation to what you're talking about um, is just being a better human Mm -hmm. (laughs) and taking care of the planet that we're on. And so that's more of a secondary theme in the book. But the idea of environmental protection does come up throughout the book. Obviously, there are themes of teamwork. Um, Religion is a minor theme in the book. Divorce is a theme. Um, not not for Christopher. That'll be a quick spoiler. Christopher and, and Mika are not getting divorced, but mm-hmm. it does come up for one of his characters. I think overall the themes that I was I was most surprised by and intrigued by um, as I was reading though were the ideas of ageism, women's rights, that women are better athletes or um, make amazing athletes. I think that was just really interesting to me. Um, I also continued to just have more and more sympathy for Mika, who finds herself more drawn in, <laughs> more and more drawn into the borough race. Uh, I think at the beginning, you start as a reader going, okay, so like Christopher is a runner. He likes to run a lot. He signed himself and Sherman up for a race. And it isn't long before you start to go, but wait, who's helping? Oh, that's Mika. Mika's. <laughs> Is Mika a runner? Oh, okay. Okay. So so Mika definitely... I would be interested on Mika's perspective on the year (laughs) that this book takes place in. Um, No, but that was really cool. You get part of that, her perspective in the fact that she latched onto the skirt and the smile. Yeah. You know, she was definitely a, a kindred spirit to that lady. Yeah. So I think overall, there were some great themes in this book. I was definitely surprised. It was so much more than I thought it would be. Um, So I think uh, that really takes us into just, we should talk about Christopher as a writer really quickly, right? Oh, he, I mean, he engages you from page, word one on page one. I mean, I was thoroughly involved in this book from start to finish. Yeah, I agree. I think, again, Christopher obviously has a, a great ability to kind of draw stories out of people. He's an investigative reporter, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, he has been working on different columns that related to the book. And so I think he was able to kind of strain columns from 
over the years into a more thorough narrative for this book that you don't always see with authors. You don't always see how the story before the book or the story after the book came to be. Um, and so I think that was a really cool component that Christopher brought such a uh, thorough, complete narrative um, for the people that he brings into the story. Mm -hmm. So definitely, I will say I do recommend this book. Although, again, Rue, this is not the happy, sunny, little show pony book you promised me. <laughs> oh, well, that's luck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, the next time I don't pick a show, sunny, show pony, sunny story, I'm going to be like Sherman. <laughs> It was interesting, though. It was definitely interesting. I think a lot of the themes surprised me, but I'm really happy that um, you and I read this book together. Um, I think we didn't really talk about how these themes relate to ourselves and the people that we deal with in our own lives. Um, but I think maybe we're a little more fortunate that we haven't had to deal with so many of these heavy themes with the people that are directly um, in our line of sight. So in, in some ways, I did leave this book feeling more grateful um, than I did before. Mm -hmm. Well, not only that, I think it's good to have read this book in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, it was something that, um, it was a happy book overall, but it did make you kind of think about your place in life, much like I think the pandemic does. It makes you think about what's important to your everyday and are you building a life of purpose? Are you building the life that you want? And I definitely can see a life in which Ricky and Catherine and I are borough racers happily. <laughs> I don't know that we'll get there, but it was cool to think about for a second. This was, <laughs> this was a great book. I do recommend it. What about you, Ru? Yes, I absolutely. And I have recommended it many <laughs> times to my friends. <laughs> okay, well... Again, thank you again for joining us um, in our second episode. We're looking forward to our third episode. It's been so great to get so much feedback from you guys. Thank you for listening and don't hesitate to reach out with more feedback. If you've got book suggestions, we would love to hear it. Um, again, you can also look at our upcoming schedule. We've only picked out the next six books and you can find that again at imcamelliot.com slash camandrew. That's I-M-C-A-M-E-L-L-I-O-T-T dot com slash Cam and Rue. Okay. All right, Rue, any closing thoughts? Uh, keep reading. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely keep reading. Rue, a uh, big thank you once again to you for joining me in this podcast. It's really been a lot of fun, not only doing and learning about how to make a podcast, but uh, you picked out an excellent book. It, it really surprised me. I enjoyed every moment of it. I did too. Cool. All right. Well, thank you guys. And we'll see you in the next episode where we will be talking about The Pool of the Stars by Emma Donahue. Yep. All right. Bye. Bye.